All right, guys, stoked to be with you this morning. Um, yeah, so like I mentioned, kind of later on in the message, PG-13, just keep that in mind if you have kids around, okay? Uh, this morning, we're jumping back into uh, a series we've been going through for a while now through the Gospel of John, and we're entitling this series, Jesus Is, kind of for a refresher for those of you guys that have been journeying with us. We want to know as much about Jesus as we possibly can. Um, Because we're convinced that what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing in our life, okay? So we've been going through this Gospel of John, um, and each week taking different chunks of Scripture and really examining what does this tell us about Jesus. Um, He's the center of the Bible, like he's the center of the world. All things were made through him and in him and for him. Uh, He is the point of everything. And so that's kind of been the heart behind this series. I think it's been really, really rich. Um, But go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be John chapter 7 today. Almost done with John chapter 7. While you're flipping there, uh, last Sunday was Father's Day, right? Yes, last Sunday was Father's Day. Uh, How many dads in the room? Biological dads in the room? Spiritual dads in the room? Should be every male hand. Um, So last Sunday, my my daughters, you know, they gave me some some handmade gifts and stuff. How many of you guys got handmade gifts? I have to show you some of these, okay? So... The first one I'm going to show you is, is my eldest daughter, Millie. Actually, both of these are from Millie. But, uh, so she drew this. I don't know if you can tell that's me. Um, and my favorite thing about this picture is she drew the gray hair. I don't know if you can see it. So you can see there's like streaks of black, and then there's plenty of streaks of gray. Uh, I don't know. There's, I saw this this morning. It was sitting on this little coffee table in my office. And, and I just thought about it. I'm like, my daughter took like the time like sat there and drew a picture of me. And the inside, I won't, I won't read you the inside of that one, but it's like all these beautiful like blessings for me, like things that she likes about me. And like, it was so cool, man. I, it, I don't know, it touched me. And then the, the other, another thing that she gave me, have you, you guys ever seen when kids give you like the coupon book? You guys know what the coupon book is? Uh, the coupon book typically is filled with things like, you know, like chores or like, I'll, I'll do this, I'll, I'll give like favors, you know, like they're trying to, trying to make my life easier. So here's a coupon, dad. Like, uh, let me read you. I'm gonna read you two of these. Okay, these are the coupons that were given to me. First one, this coupon entitles you, that's me, to extra cuddles almost every day and for almost every hour. <laughs> so I'm entitled to extra cuddles. I'll read you one more. <laughs> this coupon entitles you to get more time with you every day. Uh, I'm assuming she means that she would get more time with me every day. Um, And the interesting thing about all these coupons is it's not like favors. It's not chores. Each of the the coupons actually in this coupon book, in a really kind of special, unique way, is an invitation for me to be closer to her. Like, think about that. Like, what a beautiful invitation yeah, it affected me as her dad, you know? She wants to be close to me. I'm assuming there will be a day when she doesn't want to be as close to me. And the invitation maybe isn't as strong or isn't as available. Uh, in this passage today in John chapter 7, Jesus is going to give an, an invitation. And Jesus' invitation is absolutely incredible. So, hopefully you've flipped to John chapter 7 by now. I'm going to pray for us before I jump into this passage. Uh, But let's roll. Let me pray, huh? 
Uh, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are present. You really are God with us. Um, So, Father, my prayer for us this morning is that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly. Um, that it wouldn't just, he wouldn't just be like, a, like an idea to us or a concept or like a distant person or a historical figure or a gifted teacher. Um, would you help us to see him for who he truly is? And would you bless us richly by being in your presence this morning, by being reminded of how in need we are as people, just the fact that we're breathing right now, every, air we, every, every breath we take is a sign of our dependence. As much as we want to be, we are not self-sustained, uh, <laughs> independent people. We need, we are in need. So would you show us our need and would you show us how you desire to fulfill our needs in a beautiful, incredible, relational way. So love you, Jesus. We celebrate you and look to you now. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so John chapter 7, uh, I'm going to read verses 37 through 44, uh, so go ahead and follow along, I'm in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen, you can follow along, okay, here we go. So John chapter 7, starting in verse 37, on the last and most important day of the festival, really quickly remember, the Jews have all gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of booths, celebrating God's goodness, celebrating his faithfulness. So tons of people have flooded the city of Jerusalem. All right, Jesus is one of them. On the last and most important day of this, this like week-long festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out. This is what he said. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him or her. Verse 39, he, Jesus, said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Verse 40, when some of the crowd heard these words, they said, this truly is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem, where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Okay, so... There's a lot here. I'm going to try to get through all of it this morning, okay? Uh, When I was in my early 20s, uh, I got invited to this, it's a party, but it was like more than a party. It was a place that I didn't belong, to be honest with you, okay? Uh, Probably my closest friend in the world, really gifted uh, musician, really successful uh, amazing guy, loves Jesus, but there's just been this favor on his life when it comes to the music industry and the music business and stuff. And so I was spending time with him, uh, maybe a, I'm in my early 20s, so over a decade ago, and he was living in LA at the time. So he's like, hey, let's hang out. So we're hanging out. And he goes, hey, um, I'm going to this party tonight. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, well, what's the party? Like, what's the deal? And he's like, well, for him, he, music's his, his, his job, okay? It's his vocation. So he's like, he's not going there to really celebrate anything. He's going there to network with people. He's going there to almost like take meetings in the most bizarre environment ever, man. But like I said, this wasn't any kind of party. This was like one of those posh, 
celebrities everywhere parties where there's like a red carpet and there's cameras flashing everywhere and there's crowds of people and gnarly security. They give you at the end of, if any of you guys have ever been to one of these parties, they give you what's called a swag bag. Have you heard about this? It's ridiculous, okay? So when you leave the party, there's a crew of people that are just handing you these, this bag. And the bag's, you know, big. And there's all kinds of stuff in there, like expensive stuff. So if you've ever gone to like a kid's birthday party, you know, we try to like kids watch other kids open up presents and they lose their minds because they can't have it, you know? So what parents do is they'll give like a gift bag, you know, to kind of like ease the pain. <laughs> um, it's kind of like that, uh, but it's crazy. They give you this swag bag. And I remember like, it was like a, this epic purse and all this makeup and all this expensive stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to use any of this. Here you go, Ed. Like she, it, was, it was cool. But, but these parties are a trip. I mean, the reason I said I didn't belong there was because I was by far the least quote unquote important person in the room. Okay. And the security getting into this place was gnarly. There's like, you would have thought it was like the secret service, you know, people with the earbuds and like the, you know, the eagle has landed talking to their wrist and stuff like all over the place. Uh, you walk down this like carpet, uh, like the red carpet thing with like, you know, those backdrops that have like a logo behind it and everyone wants to take pictures and stuff. So I'm like, I'm with this. I'm there. He's like my best friend. But I'm like, with these people, I'm like, I don't belong here. And like, no one's asking to take my picture. Like, it was just bizarre. It was just so weird. Walking to this party, it's, it wasn't, it, like, it was a bigger party, but it wasn't, like, huge. And, like, there's, like, Fergie is the music, like, just hired for the party. And it was, like, I, I think it was something with the Grammys. So they had different people that were nominated for Grammys go up and sing a song and stuff. It was such a cool thing to, like, see. Um, but the thing about this party, guys was it was very clear, like the, the out in front, everything, it was very, very clear that this party was only for some. Like if your name wasn't on the list, you weren't getting into this thing. Security was, was crazy. This passage that we just read, Jesus, he says something so beautiful in that 37th verse. I don't know if you caught it, but he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. So my first point, and maybe the most important this morning, if you hear me say anything, is Jesus is available to anyone. Anybody, okay? Uh, there's a wonderful book. I encourage you to read it by this guy, Alex Early. It's called The Reckless Love of God. Before, that was a song title that kind of uh, came into the church. Beautiful song. Um, but The Reckless Love of God in this book, Alex Early, he says this on the idea of who Jesus is available to. I'm paraphrasing here, but this is what he says, essentially. Jesus is available to black people, to white people, to brown people, yellow, red, purple, or any other people, all of whom are made in God's image. He's available to the rich, the poor, the middle class, to men, to women, to homosexuals, to heterosexual perverts, to the friendless, to the divorced, to the addict, to the cheater the drunk, the high, the drug dealer, to the image-obsessed, even to those who don't finish this book. What Alex Early is echoing here is he's echoing the words of Scripture that we just read, that Jesus is available to anyone, guys. Anyone, any type of person uh, with any resume of sin, like no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. So listen, like, do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? It means that no one is too far gone. 
It means no one's run far enough away, away from the reach of God. Um, I know some of us have had have people in our lives that we've been like praying for, and some of us for a long time, not as a project, but as like a person that we dearly love, that they would know the love of God for them. No one is too far. Jesus invites anyone, friends. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful truth. Um, now, this also has implications for the church. Okay, this idea of Jesus is available to anyone, it has implications for the church because a major marker for the church is that the church, it celebrates something called diversity. Okay, I would argue, um, this is my opinion, I would argue that most of the world actually doesn't celebrate diversity. Maybe like a faux version of diversity. But the moment someone disagrees with you, uh-uh. The church is a different place. It's beautiful. The church celebrates diversity because it's a bunch of anyone's. You're tracking with me. A bunch of anyone that can come. <clears throat> different races, different backgrounds, different ages, different stages of life. Not segregated, but integrated together. Okay? So listen. The moment the church, the people of God, right? The moment the church stops being a community that's available to anyone is the moment it stops reflecting Jesus. It's a big deal. And honestly, one of the favorite, my favorite things about our church, I love how diverse we are as a church, especially in a place like Temecula. But to be honest, we have some room for growth here. It's a good thing. I'm celebrating the way that God is bringing different types of people together. It's awesome. It's the way that it should be. But to be honest, we have plenty of room to grow because, to, frankly, we're, we're getting less diverse in some areas. The main one is children. <laughs> They're taking over our church. <laughs> like if it was a pie chart, it would just literally, it's like the invasion of children taking over the church. I think it was like two weeks ago, guys. Um, typically, there's anywhere between, on a Sunday at least, our, our church is more than a gathering. Our church is people. Okay, you need to hear me say this. We love worshiping together on Sundays. It's an important strategy that we implement as a church to grow as disciples and to grow as beloved children of God. But this is not church. We are the church gathered for a purpose. Are you tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> uh, but it was a couple of weeks ago or something. Uh, for the first time ever, we had more children than we had adults on a Sunday gathering. We are getting less and less diverse by the day, okay? <clears throat> I know that's a joke, but on a serious note, Singles. Friends, we need to work at ensuring that the singles among us, that they know they're not any less valuable to our community because they don't have a ring on their finger. I think one of the things about at least American culture is that marriage, as, a, as beautiful as it is and as amazing as it is, it can be idolized. <clears throat> and here's what I mean by that. Um, it can be idolized in, in, into thinking that someone's spiritual maturity, uh, how, no, I want to say this properly. I'll just say it this way. A person's marital status is not a basis for Christian maturity. It's not a basis for Christian maturity. Jesus, the God that we worship, was single. Paul, arguably the most influential person in the New Testament outside of Jesus, single. And in fact, Paul said it's better to be single. So I don't want us to slip into a different kind of culture. I want us to be kingdom, God's kingdom culture people, where we recognize the truth of things. Marriage is a gift. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. There are people that God has called to marriage, and there are people that God has not called to marriage, and it's not a basis 
for Christian maturity. And I think sometimes, not all the time, but I want to honor my single brothers and sisters in the room. I think sometimes the church, especially in the suburbs where young families tend to congregate, I think the church can not knowingly, but make single people feel less than. And it's just, that's, that's not the heart of God. <clears throat> it's not the heart of God at all. So you get the idea. This idea that the church, it celebrates diversity. All different types of people. The, 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 the scriptures are filled with metaphors for the church, one of which is body, right? Different parts of the body, all of them. That's diverse. But every part, every member of the body contributing something to the overall health of the body. I love this metaphor because it means that if everyone looks the same, the body is unhealthy. If everyone has the same gifts, the body is unhealthy. You can imagine a body with just a bunch of like ring fingers. It would be a mess. You're following me with this idea, Right? You get the idea. The church celebrates diversity. So if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if your trust is in him and what he's done for you, and you find yourself not excited about people that are different than you, hear me say this. That's an indicator. Let that be like, let the alarms go off in your heart. The moment you recognize like, I'm not that I'm just like whatever, but I'm, I don't get excited about people different than me. Let that be an indicator. Something is wrong inside. Something, oh, what is it? What's going on? Something's wrong here. I only want to be, be, be with people like me. Same age, same stage of life, same socioeconomic background, same, enjoy, or same uh, uh, like areas of enjoyment, same hobbies. Same, you, you catch my drift. Okay, let it be an indicator. Because Jesus is available to anyone. Anyone. Okay? But if you noticed it, he gives one major condition. Did you see it? One major condition. He says, if anyone is what? Thirsty, exactly. If anyone is thirsty. Um, I'm convinced that there's two types of people in the world. Okay? Person one, you see that your gas tank in your car is getting low, so you go to the gas tank and fill it up. Person two, maniac who drives around for like three more days with the fuel light on, just kind of like pushing your luck. Okay, some of you are in this room. <clears throat> your fuel light has been on for like 48 hours, and you're like, oh, we're good. We'll keep driving around. We'll find a gas. We're not going to run out of gas. It's going to be fine. Two types of people, okay? But here's the thing. Regardless, like we all take our cars to gas stations all the time, right? Fairly regularly, we take our cars to gas stations. Why? Because they need gas. Absolutely, they need gas. So either way, whether you are the person who recognizes your fuel tank is low and you pull into the gas station right away, or you're the person who pushes your luck, you don't go to a gas station unless you need, you're in need of what the gas station offers, right? So, amen. So my next point, a person, let me see here, a person won't come to Jesus unless they're thirsty. They won't actually come to him unless they're thirsty. A person won't come to Jesus unless they need what he offers. Okay, so what does he offer? Let's start with the most spectacular thing that Jesus offers. Grace and forgiveness. Let us never be a people who move past that. Grace and forgiveness. The biggest factor, friends, that keeps a person from coming to Jesus is a low view of sin. Think about this. If sin is not that big of a deal, like if it, okay, well, whatever, like 
yeah, I made, I've made mistakes and that's fine, but if sin isn't like a, a cosmic big deal, if it doesn't like fracture a relationship between man and God and man and man and man and creation, if it's just kind of like, well, some sins are like victimless and like no one knew, so it's cool. If, if you have a low view of sin, if sin isn't that big of a deal, then forgiveness seems kind of pointless. Why, do, why would I prioritize forgiveness? Like why do I really need it? But like, what if the universe plays by God's rules and not mine or yours? <clears throat> what if disobeying God really is a big deal? Like, what if sinning against God is a huge deal? What if it deserves his wrath? What if he's all about, like, love being the only thing? And, and, and unity being the only thing. And when something opposes that, which is namely sin, he wants to punish it. He wants to get rid of it. He wants to destroy it. What if that's actually true? What if our sin really is a massive deal cosmically? If a person doesn't think sin's a big deal, they won't, they won't feel much need to be forgiven, will they? They won't have much of a thirst for it. They won't crave it. They won't need it. Are you tracking with this imagery? Okay. <clears throat> so listen, a person won't come to Jesus. A person won't come to him unless they're thirsty. And I want you to notice something too. I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say here. I love this. He doesn't say, clean up your act and then come to me. He does not say, hey, you know what? Read your Bible more. Attend church gatherings more and then come to me. He doesn't say that. It's beautiful. He doesn't say clean up your act and come to me. He says come to him thirsty. Come to him thirsty. Come to him in your imperfection. Come to him in your need. And then he makes a beautiful promise. Did you see the promise? He says anyone thirsty who comes to him and drinks, we'll talk about this in a second, will receive Holy Spirit. Anybody, anyone who's thirsty, who comes to him and drinks, receives something. It's a promise. Receives Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to drink? Think about it. Jesus uses imagery on purpose. Okay? What does it mean to drink? When you drink something, what are you, what are you doing? You're, you're absorbing it. You're taking it inside of you. You tracking with me? Okay? So Jesus' invitation here is to take him in, to absorb him, to take him in. But, but then John uses kind of different language. It's, it's, on, on the surface, it could kind of seem confusing. John, Jesus says if you take him in, right, you, you drink him, take him in, but then John says it's the Holy Spirit that's received. So do we take in Jesus or do we taken the Holy Spirit. That seems like a, like a conflict there. Um, one of my favorite things about the Gospel of John, this, this book that we're going through in the New Testament, one of my favorite things about the Gospel of John is that the Trinity is everywhere in the Gospel of John, all over the place. If you're familiar with Christianity, the Trinity, it's a basic doctrine of Christianity, right? One God, three persons, right? Three persons, one God, Yes, most of us know this. It's, it's a mystery, but it's a beautiful reality in the, in the Christian faith. Uh, Tim Keller, gifted theologian pastor from New York, says this about the Trinity. Quote, 
I think the quote should be on the screen. Quote, there's not three gods because they are too one to be three gods. This idea of oneness and unity and togetherness, one, right? There's not three gods because they are too one to be three gods. On the other hand, it's not one person in three forms as if he has his father hat and then he puts on his son hat and then he has his Holy Spirit hat. It's not three gods because they are two one for that, and it's not one God in three forms because they are two three for that. It's one God in three persons. So, what Keller's getting at here is even though Jesus is not identical to Holy Spirit, he's so one with Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, Jesus comes into your life. I think oftentimes, um, I don't know why. Uh, Maybe just culture in general. But I think oftentimes we have a tendency as people to kind of view Holy Spirit as like an impersonal force. Like like Star Wars, like the force almost. But that's not what the scripture says at all. The scripture says Holy Spirit's a divine person. He's a divine person. And notice, I'm not calling him the Holy Spirit. I think some of you are kind of like, why is he talking like this? I'm not calling him the Holy Spirit. I don't call Jesus the Jesus. Some people are already laughing at the movie reference, but seriously. I don't call Jesus the Jesus. Why? Because he's a person. I don't call Colton the Colton. I call him Colton. He's my friend. He's a person. So we refer to the person, Holy Spirit is equally God. One God, three persons. He's a person, so we don't call him the, he's a person. You're tracking with me, right? So listen, there goes my cap. So listen, drinking in Jesus means taking in the Holy Spirit. Drinking in Jesus means taking in Holy Spirit. So think about this. Coming to Jesus, this is the picture that Jesus is painting, right? Coming to him essentially means moving towards, right? So coming to Jesus, moving towards him in need, thirsty, in need of what he offers and then taking him in and absorbing him. John uses the language here of believing, okay? When you read believe um, in, in, in the scriptures, what it really means, what the word really means is trust. Stay with me. It means trust, okay? Because there's a difference, follow me for a second. There's a difference between belief in theory and belief in practice, right? Belief in theory, belief in practice. I can say, hey, I believe that God loves me. I believe that he's going to take care of me. I believe that he's with me. I believe that he'll never forsake me. I believe that he'll meet my needs. I believe those things. If I am worried and afraid and anxious, that's not really a belief in practice. That's a belief in theory. You're tracking with me. The Bible talks about belief as those two things fused together. It's not just acknowledging that something is true. It's belief in practice. So I believe that God loves me, he's for me, he'll take care of me. So when something crazy goes down, I can feel the pain of it, I can mourn it, but I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. Why? Because I believe in theory and in practice that he loves me. That he's my father, that he cares about every single detail of my life. He knows about it, he cares about it, and he's with me in it. 
and he's working all things for my good because he chose me. I'm called according to his purpose. He's seeing this. Yeah, okay, belief in theory versus belief in practice. Jesus uses this drinking metaphor on purpose, guys. He uses it because it's an action. It's not a thought. It's not just knowledge. It's an action. There's something taking place. It involves both belief in theory and belief in practice. So, drinking Jesus. Drinking Jesus, it results in Holy Spirit, the person, taking up residence inside of you. (laughs) That's like spectacular, okay? Um, Taking Jesus in means taking in Holy Spirit. So, my fourth kind of point here. Holy Spirit is within the Christian. I think so oftentimes, um, again, we think of the Holy Spirit as this impersonal force out here, distant. But literally, the scriptures teach us that Holy Spirit is a divine person who takes up residence inside the person who's drinking deeply of Jesus, who trusts in him. It means he couldn't be any closer. It's amazing. So consider what this means for just a moment, okay? This idea that, that, that God, Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, is within the Christian, okay? Consider what it means. If you come to Jesus thirsty and you've placed your trust in him, you're trusting in Jesus, who he is, um, what he's done, that means that the holy, all-powerful God of the universe is inside of you. Like, uh, have you guys ever had anybody invade your personal space? If you have kids, say yes. Um, <laughs> I feel like most parents in the room, you guys know, the bathroom is supposed to be a private area. It's supposed to be somewhat of a sanctuary where you can be removed from the, yes. But like, even the bathroom, like my kids knock the door down and within like a moment, they're six inches from my face. They invade your personal space. Um, I have this, this little office space in our, in our home and it's kind of where I'll like pray and study and if I'm writing a sermon, it's usually in there. Uh, it's kind of like my little, I, I live with three ladies so it can tend to be my little area of like, I just need to breathe for just a second. But I'll go in there, and I'll, most of my mornings, frankly, are spent in that room just begging the Spirit to help me believe, not just in theory, but in practice, that God loves me. I don't want to leave that room until I'm, like, getting weepy that, that God loves me and I don't deserve it, but it's, but it's true. So I'll be in those, and I usually what I'll do is I'll just figure out some—it uh, looks different most mornings. It's, it kind of changes it up. Sometimes it's in the Bible. Sometimes it's just begging God. Sometimes it's worshiping. Sometimes it's—worshiping well, means praising him. But oftentimes I'll have my earbuds in and I'll be listening to worship um, music or, or praising him or something and I'm just with him. I'm just with my dad, you know? And the girls, this has happened multiple times. I'm like in the zone. Like just like tears, gratitude, like he loves me. This is insane. Like I betray him daily and yet he's so patient with me and kind to me and faithful to me. And then like I'll open my eyes and like my daughter's face is right here and it's the most startling thing in the world. This idea of invading your personal space. I'll be honest with you, sometimes like in those moments, like I'll get irritated. I'm like, I, I'm upset. Like give me my personal space. And I remember like praying about it one morning 
And I'm like, God, like, I'm so irritated. Like, why do they keep, like, disobeying daddy? Like, he's in with Jesus, you know? And I felt like the Spirit said, they just want to be close to their father. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Guys, did you know that, like, a huge portion of the Bible is all about God making attempts to get close to people that he loves without it killing them. Like read the Old Testament. It's bloody. It's really bloody. Do you want to know why? Because the wages of sin is death. Like God's holy and perfect, blameless, good, righteous in all of his ways. Sinners and God don't mix. If they do, It's dangerous for us to be in the presence of God. It's dangerous for a sinner to be in the presence of God, not because he's so bad, but because he's so good. So that's a dilemma. God who wants to be close to the people that he loves without it killing them. That's why the Old Testament's so bloody. That goat, I want to be close to you. You need me to be close to you, and for that to happen, your sin has to be atoned for. Slay the goat, slay the lamb, slay the dove. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Why? Because God wants to be close to his people. That's what the temple is. It's supposed to be the, 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 God's manifest presence with his people on the earth. That's why the Old Testament's so bloody. The consequences of sin is death. It's going to take a lot of blood, right? And then what happens in the story? God puts on flesh in the person of Jesus. Why? To be close with his people. He has an agenda here, okay? He puts on flesh in the greatest invasion in the history of the world, okay? And before Jesus ascends back up to heaven, you guys know the story. Before he ascends back up to heaven, he says to his followers, what? He says, I'm gonna send my spirit to be inside you. Do you see the progression here? God wanting desperately to be close to his people without it killing them. I mean, talk about invading your personal space, man. So, you need to know the lengths that God has gone to to be close to you. You matter. Some of you came in here today and you're low on yourself. You made some mistakes. Maybe this week you made some, some sketchy decisions. You need to hear me. God still really wants to be close to you. And his track record of what he's been willing to do to get close to you is pretty incredible. That's pretty amazing. So, consider, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, that means that God is inside of you. And like I said before, it doesn't get any closer than that. He's not distant from you. If you're in Christ, he's not distant from you. So here's what this means. It means that in the same way that God invaded the earth in the person of Jesus, Holy Spirit invades the Christian heart with the exact same mission to defeat sin, Satan, and death. That's his agenda. That's what he's about. That's what he's doing. And do you see the progression? Old Testament, wanting to be with his people. New Testament, God puts on flesh and comes. And in the extension of that, another another invasion on a deeper level, he's pushing enemy territory back in every degree even in our heart. 
And part of this, part of the, the outcome of this is he invades people like me. People like me who only had the capacity for selfishness and evil. I could dress it up and make it look good. I could buy you lunch to look generous, but it's really just because I want you to like me. But it's not, my, the motive of my heart is not pure and holy and good. <clears throat> but Jesus, like the spirit invades people broken like me. People who, who literally, my only, I only had capacity for selfishness and evil. And now with the Holy Spirit inside of me and inside of some of you, it provides a different option. And now a person has the capacity for holiness and Christ-likeness. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. And what happens is God manifests himself through your choices now because you're empowered to make different kinds of choices. You have a capacity to make different choices, not selfish decisions, not evil decisions, but holy, Christ-like decisions. He enables us to choose holiness over selfishness. He enables us to choose holiness over sin. It's amazing. It's miraculous. A person, a person who is a sinner will choose sin every single time. That's all we know how to do. When, when the Bible says you're dead in your sin, it literally means your, your capacity is to choose you over others 100% of the time. Every single time. And I, I don't want to get too much into an argument about this and the depths of this. Like, I know that there are moms who are like, I choose my kid. I, there's layers here. and We could talk about it afterwards. But the Bible talks about this idea that like, the capacity that we have for evil is so great and so tempting, we can't not give in to that temptation. But the Holy Spirit invading the heart of the Christian enables the Christian to make different choices. Choices like Jesus would make. Like the bracelet, right? WWJD, what would Jesus do? The Spirit of God enables you to do that. He enables you to choose your neighbor over yourself. It's a miracle. And oftentimes, I think we don't give God credit for the manifestations of the Spirit like we should because we tend to think that the Spirit, the Spirit only shows up when people are levitating off the ground and like crazy stuff's happening. God does crazy stuff. Okay, read the book of Acts. He heals people with shadows and handkerchiefs. He does unbelievably spectacular miracles like that. But you know what's arguably just as miraculous? Somebody choosing um, love and grace and forgiveness instead of selfishness. That's a manifestation, a miraculous manifestation of the Spirit of God intervening in someone's heart. Are you with me? And I think so oftentimes we miss the Spirit of God because we're, we're, it only looks this way. No, man. Oftentimes it looks like this. We don't give God credit <clears throat> because we it's almost like we dismiss like someone living a holy life. We're like, oh yeah, that's what a Christian should do. How are they doing that? How could, and if I ever do anything remotely holy, how? By God's indwelling spirit empowering me, enabling me to do that. That's a miracle. I'm dead in my sin and God intervenes. He invades. It's war. He's overthrowing someone. He's overthrowing two people in my life. He's overthrowing the enemy, sin, Satan, death. And he's overthrowing me, my flesh, my sinful flesh that identifies, um, identifies myself as a sinner and not as a child of God. He's overthrowing that. It's an invasion. So if you're a Christian, are you accessing God's influence? Like in your business. Like you, you face with, with um, some difficult decisions. Like are you accessing what you have? 
the wisdom of God, the mind of Christ in your parenting. It can be so hard, so frustrating when your kids disobey, when they don't listen, when they're inconveniencing you and your agenda and what you want to do. Are you accessing what you have, man? <clears throat> it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like if you had millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank account and you never went to the ATM. Why not? You have access to the wisdom and power of God inside of you at all times to inform, inform every area of your life. And think about it. Like, if, you'd, if we did this, we'd live just like Jesus did. Fully God, fully man. Okay, it's, the scripture said he emptied himself of his divinity. It means he took on human limitations. Still fully God, but took on the limitations of being fully man. So how did Jesus do anything that he did? Through the power of the Spirit. It's incredible. So, think of Jesus' life for a second. His life was incredible. Like, he did the most amazing things. He lived the most amazing life. So think about this for a second. Um, I, read, I read recently that, that there's uh, over 2 billion, with a B, which is amazing, 2 billion Christians on the planet. That's a lot of people. 2 billion Christians on earth. What would happen if they all lived like Jesus? They have access to that bank account, man. What would happen? if they access Holy Spirit the way that Jesus did, if they did the things that he did. Like, can, you, can we just dream for a second? Can we just think about, let's let our minds run. How much time do I have? I'm long, but I don't care. Like, let your mind drift into that place and dream a bit. What would that be like? We talked about diversity earlier, Right? and celebrating the differences because what we have in common is our need, our thirst for Jesus and his grace and forgiveness to satisfy that. Think about the implications. Poverty, gone. Corruption, gone. Racism, gone. What else? Abuse, gone. Sexual brokenness, gone. Friends, God invades your personal space for a reason. He does it to give you another option, to choose God's way instead of your way. God's way in your love life. God's way in your sexuality. God's way in your marriage. God's way in your parenting. God's way in your job. God's way in your finances. God's way in all of your relationships, every single one of them. God's way in everything, not to be a tyrant, but to set the captive free. So do you see what this means? This means you do not have to choose sin. You don't have to choose death. I really want you to know, I really want you to know that God has gone to such great lengths, such great lengths to be close to you, friend, and to enable and empower you to live differently. And listen to me, when you do, God's invasion his, his invasion, it progresses. Heaven invades earth more and more. You, in you and through you, right? So God's kingdom advances. If you're a Christian, Holy Spirit is within you. God's close. 
Um, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. What are we doing on time? We're doing okay. <clears throat> I'm long, but we're okay. I wish there was more time, guys. Um, <clears throat> but there's one more thing I really, uh, I really need you to know. It's really important. You've got to know from this passage. Okay, look back at verse 38 with me really quick. Verse 38, the words of Jesus. He says, the one who believes in me, again, believes is trust, belief in theory and belief in practice. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Okay, where it says from deep within him, the Greek word there is uh, koilia. And what that word means is womb. Like, you know, like a womb. So this is kind of where the the PG-13 stuff kicks in, okay? The imagery that Jesus is using here is really powerful. He says a thirsty person, right, moving towards Jesus and taking him in, right? Okay, so what he says literally is that as a result of that, of a thirsty person moving towards Jesus and taking him in, what he says literally is that streams of living water flow out of that person's womb. How many of us know that one of the major metaphors, metaphors in the scriptures for the church is Jesus' bride? Right? He's the groom. The church is his bride. Here's my question. What's the outcome of a passionate moment of intimacy between a bride and her husband? What's the outcome of that? The outcome, the fruit of that passionate, intimate moment between a bride and her husband is that something is conceived, right? You with me? Something is conceived and eventually something is birthed. That something is a baby. Friends, do you know what the outcome is of a passionate moment of intimacy between Jesus and his bride? Do you know what the outcome of that is? Do you know what the fruit of that is? My last point today. Intimacy with God, it gives birth to heavenly things. You've heard of the fruit of the Spirit, right? The outcome. Spirit within. The outcome. The fruit. Galatians 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The way that things are supposed to be, frankly. So, you need to know. This morning, hear me say this. Whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, you have a spiritual womb All of us do. We have a spiritual womb. So, do me a favor, please. Examine your life right now. Think about your life. Examine your life. What are you giving birth to? Are you giving birth to anger? Are you giving birth to sorrow? Are you giving birth to anxiety or worry or fear? Are you giving birth to lust? Like, do you find yourself impatient? Sometimes harsh, maybe, with your words. What you give birth to spiritually, it reveals your spiritual lover. Just how it works. And if it's not Jesus, 
hear me say this, the outcome will be more sin and brokenness. You'll birth more of that. But intimacy with God gives birth to heavenly things. And you need to know that God desires to birth things through your life. He's gone to great lengths to be close to you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants you to drink deeply of him. So listen, Jesus invites you, every person in the room, every person on the planet, Jesus invites you no matter how unfaithful you've been like me, come to him. It's an invitation. It's the best invitation ever. Come to him to drink and he promises to fill you with his spirit to empower your choices so that heavenly things are birthed out of you. Jesus is inviting the thirsty. He's inviting the thirsty. So my question for you this morning is what will you do with his invitation? How do you respond? Will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us. I'm going to listen for just a bit and then pray, okay? I could get the word unworthy, like some of you feel really unworthy. I feel like God wants you to know that He's God and He gets to determine things of value. <laughs> and that He set His affection on you. He's stubborn and jealous in His love. It's actually a really comforting thing. I want to pray for you to receive that in just a minute. Um maybe for some of you in the room, you actually, there's like an uncertain thing. I don't know if I've received the Holy Spirit. Um, I feel like God wants you to know um, that that Jesus' words still stand for you, like they, um, they apply to you. It's an invitation for you to move towards him, to trust him with your life. And to trust the gospel, the good news that he came and lived the perfect life life for you in your place that you never could. And and ultimately, he died the death that you and I deserve for the ways that we disobey him, for the ways that we invite sin more and more into creation. He was punished so that we could be close to him. And he lived perfectly in our place so that we could get credited with that perfection which enables us to be close with him, enables us to be intimate with him, enables us to be united with him. I feel like God's calling some of you to actually receive that this morning, to take him in, because his promise is that he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's desire is to continuously, over and over and over again, every moment of every day, point you to the true lover of your soul, and that is Jesus, your true spiritual lover, who you were created for. For some of you, um, I really feel like God, the Spirit wants to birth things in your life, like through you, and it's gonna require you turning away from specific spiritual lovers. I 
I think for some of us, it's, it's stuff. Like there's just, you want stuff and you get, um, oh, maybe it's not stuff. No, it's not stuff. It's, um, it's control. God wants you to let go of controlling environments, controlling how people perceive you. controlling relationships and how they affect you. God wants to satisfy you and those things never can. That, that idol of control, it can't satisfy you. And God in his grace wants you to know it can't satisfy. That's why he wants to tell you now to free you, to actually drink deeply of him and allow him to be the Lord, allow him to be king because he's working things for your good. Jesus, thank you that you invite the thirsty like me over and over and over again. The invitation still stands. So my prayer for this whole room is that whether we've been following Jesus for decades or a day or we don't yet, that you'd make us experts on people who drink deeply of the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And that we'd be people who are content. We don't need more. What is Psalm, Psalm 23? I, I shall not want. I don't have any needs. I have what I need. I'm, I'm satisfied. We want you to be our shepherd, Jesus. We want you to be our spiritual lover, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we want you to birth heavenly things through our life. So would you show us how thirsty we are, how much we really need your grace and forgiveness? And then would you give us faith to trust that we can run to you and drink deeply from the well that never runs dry? I love you, God. Minister to us this morning. Please, Holy Spirit, we need you. In your holy name, Jesus, amen.